0: San Diego
1: 101 As someone who saw this rise in the Arab community growing up, we didn't have an Arab grocery store when I was really young. I remember when we had people who were visiting um Palestine or Jordan and they would come back of really big deals that they would bring us back. Olive oil they would bring us back, the spice milk they would bring us back za'atar, and it was such a huge deal because it was so hard to find it in an authentic way and and really go, when we saw these rise of grocery stores in El Cajon, it became such a big deal, like for my family, that we would go, we could get the bread that like my parents grew up eating and feeling seen in a grocery store is a, a huge thing. I think of my grandmother, who's been here since the 90s, who doesn't speak English, being able to go to, into the grocery store and being able to speak to everyone in the store is a huge thing that for so many communities, there are similar experiences that I think people don't realize, especially when they think about the way the census silences and the way people forget about us is that we are still here and we're still having these lived experiences. From
2: Voices of San Diego, I'm Adriana Heldes.
3: And I'm Maya Shri Krishnan. This is San Diego 101, what we know and what we don't know about who lives in San Diego.
2: Most of what we know about the people who live in San Diego comes from the U.S. Census. It's a process completed every 10 years that's made to be the most comprehensive count of who lives in the country. But in 2020, it was a mess. And we have some breaking news now from the White House on the president's 5 p.m. announcement about the 2020 census. And that controversial citizenship question. Joining me now, my colleague. <laughs> so the census has been plagued by really a perfect storm of bad situations.
1: One, starting
3: with the call of uh, by the president... First, the Trump administration tried to add a question to the census that had never been there before, one that terrified a lot of communities. Are you a legal citizen? In the end, the question wasn't added, but the damage was already done. The chance of that question coming up spooked a lot of communities about what could happen if they took part in the census.
2: Then, of course, the pandemic happened, making door-to-door info gathering really hard, sometimes impossible.
3: And also, in fall of 2020, the Trump administration cut the census gathering short. This likely impacted the hardest-to-reach communities, which tended to fill out their census forms last.
2: And that's a big deal because the census, in theory, is supposed to be the measure of who we are. Who is the United States? Who we are at our biggest scale, all the way down to counties and cities and neighborhoods.
3: That's what the census is made to be, at least, ever since the 1790s. Seriously, this has been happening for over 200 years. But for
2: most of that time, it wasn't like it is now, where you sit at your kitchen table and fill in the answers yourself.
3: Up until the 1950 census, the census taker would come to your door, ask you some questions like how old you were, how many people lived in the house. But for the race question, they wouldn't ask. They would look at you and write down what they thought you were.
2: next time around for the 1960 census that was the first time people could mark their own category and that's still true now but there are a lot of limitations so coming up
3: what racial categories can people actually mark down
0: Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash V-O-S-D. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash V-O-S-D.
2: If you pull up the latest census info, which anyone can do, on the census government website, you'll see the latest data.
3: About 330 million people in the United States. And if you zoom all the way into San Diego County, here are the big takeaways about who we are, at least who we are based on the census.
2: 3.2 million people making San Diego the fifth largest county in the U.S., second largest in the state. The biggest share of county residents, according to the census race categories, are white and Latino.
3: Followed by Asian, black. Then there's a category called two or more, which is for people who have mixed racial backgrounds. An interesting story this data tells, though, comes out when you compare it to the last census in 2010.
2: Since then, the Latino population grew by almost 13 percent, Asian population by over 22 percent, while Black and white populations shrink. But there's still a lot that this
3: information doesn't tell us about who we are and who lives here. That information is hidden in these categories, and for San Diego, the biggest change of all was in the category called other.
2: Compared to the latest census, about three times as many people in San Diego chose other.
3: According to some, this is because the census is inherently flawed. It doesn't give everyone a chance to say who they are. It doesn't capture who we are.
1: Yeah, so my name is Janine Arakat. I'm a policy associate at PANA, the Partnership for Advancement of New Americans. And we predominantly work with folks coming from Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, Somalia, Ethiopia, uh, and the greater Middle East, North African, Swana region.
3: Janine is one of those people who thinks the census is flawed and that it takes big, diverse, thriving communities and hides them. How do you identify?
1: I identify as Palestinian Muslim American.
3: Um, and when you see information about who lives in the San Diego region, um, do you see yourself reflected in
1: that? No, I don't. And it's because my community, the Arab community, larger Middle Eastern, North African community, all have to choose white in census and general demographic data. So even. In- so, so it's flawed, she says, because it's missing a
2: category for her for who she is, the community she's a part of, and the people
3: she serves. Instead, people from Northern Africa, the Middle East, and parts of Southern Asia, they've been lumped in with the white category. And when people could start filling in their
1: own bubbles, the rule said that they were white. Um, always having to mark white and being confused, because it didn't reflect the experiences of my family or my community, um, especially growing up in post-9-11. And we saw this really huge racialization of Muslims, of the Arab community, and we don't have a white experience.
2: And this goes beyond the census because it's such a standard set of categories that everyone knows and relies on. So other places just copy them. Schools, the DMV, hospitals.
1: While the census is a precedent and it's used everywhere, in its inception it was used to further the racist histories and roots of this nation with the genocide of indigenous communities and the enslavement of black communities. And so that's why looking at the current racial designation, the current racial categories are so limiting and it gets replicated in all ways because this was set as a standard.
3: And another reason why this is such a big deal is because beyond being able to identify as who you truly are and feel represented, it actually does affect representation in day-to-day life.
2: The census data is used to determine political boundaries, money, how governments and resources are split up. So if you're invisible to the census, you're invisible in all those other ways too.
1: Yeah, the census is everywhere, Um, and often people don't realize how many of their their life choices or their options are impacted by the census. So one example even is if you look at state funding, when you ha- know how many people live in a certain area, is it's an allocation of funding. That means that the federal government, the state and county knows how much funding to spend on its residents. And if you're not showing up in the census accurately, you're not gonna get the funding that your community needs.
2: These are all effects from the census. When the survey gets to the people, they only have a few boxes to choose from to say who they are. That information is then sent to different government agencies to roll with that information.
3: But Janine says there are also big problems with the process before any of that happens. A history of fear and distrust in the U.S., especially for two communities. Amemsa—that's that's A-M-E-M-S-A, and MENA, M-E-N-A. Aminsa is African,
2: Arab, Middle Eastern, Muslim, and South Asia. Mina is Middle Eastern and
3: North African.
1: I really want to set the tone and the context for how we entered the 2020 census, right? Even before um, the pandemic, which we know we weren't really aware of until March, we entered it under a cloud of oppression and fear, right? The Muslim and African ban directly harmed our communities. It left immigrants and refugees in a state of daily fear. It separated us and it criminalized us and our loved ones. And our communities have been targeted by Islamophobic rhetoric and policy and heightened government surveillance for decades. And this year, 2021, was the anniversary of 20 years of the global war on terror, where there have been countless policies and programs that surveil and harass and and criminalize our communities. And I say this to mention that these decades longs of surveillance, of feeling afraid to be in this nation, make it so that our community is fearful of being engaged in a democratic process, even something like census, which for some communities seems like an easy survey. But if you have been targeted, if you have been surveilled, it feels like the government is just collecting information on you. And it doesn't make it easy When a president is trying to add a citizenship question that targets certain communities and will widen the gap of disparities by doing so. And so add the pandemic onto this layer, add the technological barriers, add the language barriers, the census almost feels like an impossible feat.
2: An impossible feat. That's why groups like the one she's a part of do what they do. It's the Partnership for the Advancement of New Americans, or PANA.
3: With all of these forces pushing against communities that are historically underrepresented and undercounted, for
1: the 2020 census, they pushed back. And so... PANA created a refugee and immigrant census hub for communities in San Diego and across the California to make sure that we were counted. And we developed census materials in over 15 languages. We contacted over 47,000 African, Arab, Middle Eastern, South Asian community members across the state to encourage them to be counted in the census. Uh, And what we were really pushing for, because we're not showing up in the racial categories, is for people to pick other um, and for people to get to choose their own ethnicity. And our hope was that the people who are analyzing this data would extrapolate us and would allow for this other category and name the ethnicities main. That was the hope. But. It wasn't until we saw the results in 2021 um, that we learned that we were lumped back into the white category. And so despite all this side work, despite all the building and community trust that we got, we were still whitewashed in the census. And so we no longer are reaping the benefits of census, of the funding for our communities, of programs to state and county funding because we're invisible in the census right now.
3: How did you know that you were lumped
1: back into the white category and weren't a part of, like, the other category? When you do a breakdown of the census data and it shows all the iterations, it, it shows that they continue to use white. And there's been a long push. In 2010 was the first push to get in a Middle Eastern, North African category, and it was denied. And for it looked like it was getting really close. And then in 20. 17, 2018, that it was denied again. And so um, we felt like we had this opportunity of this other category only to learn that um, it didn't change much for us.
2: And like Janine said, there are a lot of barriers for other folks when it comes to the census too. Because race means different things to different cultures. Black and white in America doesn't mean black and white to someone from across the world.
1: Well, at Pan, we work really closely with the Somali, Ethiopian, Oromo community who are, are marking African-American or black, but there is a confusion for new immigrants who are arriving who maybe don't see themselves as African-American because there's different layers that come with that language, and it's a new way of identifying yourself, right? Every nation, every group has a different understanding of race, and coming to the U.S. is a huge culture shock because so much of what we do and live is informed by this man-made, human-made categories of race that have real-life implications but aren't as natural as someone who's lived in the U.S. their whole life thinks they are.
3: Since the census doesn't accurately reflect this community in San Diego, how do we know how many people in this community live in San Diego? How do we know how big this community is in San Diego and where they are and you know who they
1: are? Right. I mean that's a that's a great question, Maya, and I think it's something that um some, I, I myself have been looking for to to prove <laughs> to give to people that we do exist and we do live here. Um and it's like mind-boggling that You know, you can, for example, you go to City Heights, you can see that there's a rich East African communities of people coming together and you know that they're exceeding 50,000 at minimum. You go to El Cajon, you see that it's a large Arab, Middle Eastern, North African community and a growing Afghan community who's, again, exceeding 50,000 people. But unfortunately, there is still no set data because when you reach out to schools, they're only collecting ethnicity if someone is foreign born. And so for example, my parents are Palestinian immigrants, but I was born here. I wouldn't show up in the information around English as a second language because I learned English simultaneously because I was born here. So I wouldn't be counted in that data of when they're looking at the number of Arabic speakers are at the school similarly when you're looking at the way the county collects and the health and human services department is looking at recently resettled refugees but it's only looking at at a yearly number so it doesn't accurately tell you how much how long it is there and some people who've been here for decades get missed and the newcomers are also getting missed um, if they aren't being collected in a set way and so it really does feel like you're pulling at straws to prove that that we're here we know there's there's a severe a severe undercount, um, and the way that the census infrastructure inherently uh, makes us invisible f- furthers that and it furthers that divide.
3: And I mean, even though we don't have great data on this, we do sort of know that San Diego has one of the largest um, like Middle Eastern North African communities in the country because it has had such a long Large refugee resettlement program historically. So, I guess when the average person is sitting there and describing San Diego, and they're like, "Well, we've had this growing Latino population, yeah. like this growing API population over the ten, uh, the past ten years," most people don't even think about the growing <laughs> <laughs> right. Middle Eastern, North African population. Or, this. how does that, I guess, make you
1: feel? Right. I mean, um, it's definitely something. That I would say has been normalized. It's been part of my experience, my whole life living here. But it doesn't make it any easier. I think it gets really frustrating um, when, especially when you're you're working in coalition or you're working with people on. You know, we're still here. We're living here. <laughs> we're. we're um, we're working on similar issues with different um, BIPOC communities and we're fighting for a lot of the same things because the same policies that affect us. And it's, you know, you, you know that people recognize it on the one on one. But if people haven't been thinking about it, haven't been working with these communities, it, we're not we don't come to their mind. And it's like we we don't even exist or haven't been here and that we've had no impact on the region or the nation. And that's really the harm of census is something that you would think is so abstract, so far-fetched has basically wiped us um, from the narrative and from the history of of San Diego and, and the region.
3: When you think of your community, what comes to mind?
1: Well, even when we're talking about this region, the Arab community—even you're talking about 22 different nations. Uh, when and it gets larger when you expand it to Middle Eastern, North Africa, and Southwest uh, Southwest Asia. And so, um, it's you're really getting this rich diversity. You're getting a lot of different spices. You're getting a lot of different smells. I mean, the spice trade was was a big part of our history. Um, Um, And so to me, when I think of it, it's, you know, I think people would would say it's a lot more expansive, but it's um, the smell of za'atar, which is a spice blend of thyme and parsley. It's um, olive oils in all of our dishes, right? Fara, and shawarma, it's all these like rich foods that you would smell of. It's also this jasmine and sage that are used in herbal remedies and um, as scents it's rich music. I don't we're loud, but it's coming from a place of, of love and, and community. <laughs> um, and so I say that when you, when you go into places like El Cajon, which is known as little Baghdad and or even Anaheim which isn't that far away in Orange County, um, you're gonna be greeted with a lot of hospitality and 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 welcome because and food because food is the way that w- community comes together.
3: Yeah, I thought there was like an opportunity for us to sort of have a conversation because I don't know how you feel with like the Latino census, but I know just like being Asian, there's a big There's a lot of data issues that come out of, like, all Asians being grouped together because there are literally, like, dozens of people from different countries who speak different languages, who look nothing alike, who are different religions, who, you know, when they're in the U.S., are all, like, grouped into one, um, even though they have very different experiences coming here and very different outcomes once they're actually, like, here. Yeah. Um, But and I know I've seen on TikTok... (laughs) You know, those, like. have you seen the like these TikToks during the census where it was like, am I Latino? Am I white? Or am I white? Am I indigenous? Because there's like the Hispanic, non-Hispanic category. And then yeah. there's like the complete separate question with the race category that mm-hmm. doesn't have Latino or anything. And so there was like all those TikToks about like, well, am I white? Or do I, like, how do I fill out that question? Or like.
2: Yeah, I feel like in general, I mean, with the census, it's overgeneralized especially when it comes to that question like there's just so many different backgrounds and so many different perspectives that need to be taken into consideration so like race is no longer just like white black latino asian you know it's it's more than that and i feel that you know especially in like 2020 and 2021 we need to start making sure we reflect that. I mean, I remember you wrote that story about, you know, the Filipino community not being able to get resources because the COVID death data didn't specifically mark them, you know, as Filipino, and that's one of the great examples of this is that if we don't start really identifying who we are, then we're missing a lot of the opportunities of how we can help different groups that need it the most
3: Adriana, I have a question so when you fill out the census like there's the Hispanic non-Hispanic question I'm assuming you fill in Hispanic sp- yeah yeah um, but then with the racial category which is a separate question do you just leave that blank or do you fill out something
2: I think I just put other I think mm-hmm. I remember I put other which I've done it before for not like not census things but like other you know things that I fill out that ask you about race And that always makes me feel weird because I'm like, well, you just asked me like I was Hispanic, but like then I'm putting other, you know, it's just this weird sort of like I don't I don't know where I stand. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, with you, what do you what do you put when?
3: I mean, I put Asian, um, but yeah, there is definitely something that, you know, when we're talking about how that data is used, like my experience as. An Indian American is very different than someone who is a Filipino American or someone yeah. who is Laotian American or something like that.
2: Yeah, that's such a big group that I feel just like Asian. It's It's just so oversimplified when it just encompasses so many different people in the United States. And the people are just so, like you said, so different, different backgrounds. And it's just a shame that we just lump it into one category.
3: Yeah, it really oversimplifies people's experiences, which really makes it challenging to recognize certain communities and respond to their needs or even, you know, just acknowledge their experiences. Yeah. On the other side of the break, how to reveal those hidden by the census
0: join culture creator ramel wallace museum ceo micah Parson, philanthropist erwin jacobs and urban agriculturist diane moss on season two of stop and talk a podcast about the future of the san diego region How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com.
2: Okay, here are three things you need to know when thinking about who lives in San Diego and what communities aren't being counted. Number one, Name us, Janine says. And part of that is making room for those in the census that aren't being counted. So the next time the census comes around in 10 years, be on the lookout for campaigns that are trying to achieve that. Because inclusion lets more communities be seen.
3: Number two. San Diego is getting increasingly diverse. We've got a little over three million people in the San Diego region right now, and we're getting more diverse all the time. The Latino and Asian populations in particular are growing fast um, since before 2010. The Latino population has grown over 13% and the Asian community by over 22%. And all the while, the white population has been shrinking.
2: Number three. Remember, data doesn't tell us everything about the different communities in San Diego. Numbers, of course, are important and they tell us a lot. But stories and perspectives are equally important.
1: San Diego 101
0: San Diego 101 is a product of Voice of San Diego. Hosted and produced by Maya Krishnan and Adriana Heldes. Produced, edited, and mixed by me, Nate John. Additional support from Megan Wood. Learn more about San Diego and how it works at SD101.org. That's SD101.org. San Diego 101 is made possible with support from the Langler-Benbao Foundation, the Parker Foundation, and the Seuss Foundation. Additional support from Gulper, Sullivan, Rivera, and Osuna. And... Bloodhurst and O'Reardon LLC, and the members of Voice of San Diego. Support SD-101 and become a member now at VOSD.org slash member. San Diego 101. And transmission. Goodbye.